Since I gave you life, I will always look after the island. Again, the lecture. Watch out. We're allowing me to breathe. You are behind every success that I have. Less my tongue. So that I'm the most appropriate way for you. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أنا eloquent sermon مولانا وسيدنا أمير المؤمنين ومولى الموحدين علي بن أبي طالب chooses to describe the Holy Quran so he states and indeed this Quran is alive and it never dies and this Qur'an is renewed just like the days and the nights. And this Qur'an is as new for the last of us as it was for the very first of us. And the Qur'an is a methodology that will never take you astray. And the Qur'an is a guiding monument with foundations which will never break. With that said, my respected brothers and sisters, when we examine the Qur'an, we find that one of the most fascinating stories, we find that one of the most fruitful lessons within the Holy Qur'an is incorporated and the story of the Prophet Musa alayhi wa ala alihi wa ala nabiyyina wa ala alihi afdalu salati wa aska salam And the story of the Prophet Musa is very long It's spread throughout the Holy Quran Musa lives in the palace of Pharaoh He grows up when he becomes an adult he witnesses a fight, so he goes to refrain the oppressor from the oppressed. He goes to help the oppressed to refrain the oppressor from him. And while he does that, in that particular conflict, the oppressor falls and dies. So they accuse the Prophet Musa of the murder of that man. What does Musa do? Musa runs away from Egypt, takes refuge to Palestine. When he reaches Palestine, there he finds the daughters of the Prophet Shuaib. Then they take him to their father. He meets the Prophet Shuaib. The Prophet Shuaib then gives him the offer of marrying one of his daughters. And Musa takes him up on the offer. Shuaib or Shuaib says to him, the dowry of my daughter is for you to serve our household for eight or ten years. He says that is an agreement between, between me and you, O Musa. Whichever of those dates, whether it's eight years or ten years, you meet, then there isn't going to be any compulsion. There isn't going to be any hard feelings. The Prophet Musa decides that he's going to spend a decade serving the Prophet Shuaib. He's going to spend a decade serving the Prophet Shuaib, and when the decade, when the ten years were over, he decided that he wants to go back to Egypt. So he took his family, and they moved, and the journey towards Egypt, he reached a valley, 
It was dark. He didn't know where he was going. He was lost. There he saw a fire. So he says to his family, let me go and see what's happening next to that fire. Maybe I'll have news for you. So Musa goes. When he reaches the fire, from the right corner next to the tree, he hears a calling. What does the calling tell him? It caught him by surprise. It was the biggest shock of his life. Today, we will examine chapter 20, verse 12 of the Holy Quran. And the following manner. Number one, what is the difference between the Zahar of the Quran and the Batul of the Quran? What is the difference between the exoteric approach and understanding the Quran or the esoteric approach and understanding the Quran? Number two, why is it that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to Musa, and this very important occasion, he tells him, Inni ana rabbuk. Why is it that Allah does not tell him, Inni ana Allah, Inni ana rahman Inni ana rahim Inni ana al-ghafoor. Allah says, Inni ana rabbuk. A word that comes from the root word, murabbi and tarbiyah. Number three, why is it that Allah leaves everything about Musa and focuses on his shoes, on his sandals? Is it really that Allah is only telling Musa, take off your shoes, you're in the holy valley? Or is there a lot more behind the statement of take off your shoes, you are in that blessed valley? And number four, more importantly, how do we take this verse and incorporate this verse within our lives and our day-in, day-out communications with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How does this verse teach us the art of communicating with the Almighty Allah? All of that after your loud salawat upon Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. understand the Qur'an and examine the Qur'an in the exoteric manner. And I'm going to use one verse from the Holy Qur'an to explain to you the difference between the esoteric and the exoteric approach in understanding the Qur'an. The approach which only looks at the zahar of the Qur'an, an approach that looks deeper in the batin or the bawatin of the Qur'an. We'll use chapter 5, verse 6 from the Holy Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in chapter 5, verse number 6 states the following. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Ya ayyuha al-lazina amanu, Ida qumtum ila salati, Faqsulu wujuhakum wa aydiyakum ila al-marafiq, 
When you read this ayah, you explain this ayah to yourself, you explain this ayah to others by saying what? Allah says, oh you believers, if you want to go and pray, then wash your face, then wash your hands, then wipe your head and wipe your feet. I read that, I explain it to myself, I explain it to others in the following manner. In order for us to understand the exoteric meanings of the Qur'an, all we need to know is really the Arabic language and some very basic information about the sciences of the Holy Qur'an. What about the esoteric, the batan of the ayah? Before I tell you what the batan of this ayah holds for us, I'll give you an example. We in California are facing a drought. One of the brothers came to me and said, Sayyid, you know this wudu is for such a long time ago. Because people used to work in the mud, they used to sweat, they used to become dirty. So they would go and have to wash themselves and do wudu before the prayers. But now in the mornings when I wake up, I take a shower, I use shampoo, I put cologne. So what's the reason behind wasting water and doing wudu three or five times a day before salah. I see it as extremely pointless. We're wasting water. Salah is haram. Yes. That's a person that's only looked at the ayah in the exoteric manner. But what about when you look at the baqan of the ayah? What is the baqan of the ayah holding for us, teaching us? When you, and pay attention to this, when you wash your face, you say, oh Allah, I have sinned with those eyes. I have sinned with those ears. I have sinned with this tongue. Oh Allah, the first time I wash my face, I am purifying myself of those sins. Oh Allah, I want you to forgive those sins that I have accumulated with my face. Oh Allah, salah is a form of tawbah and return to you. So Allah, help me return to you. The second time you wash your face, you say, Oh Allah, keep my face glowing. In Arabic, says, keep my face glowing on the day where faces go dark. What does this mean? It means, Oh Allah, keep me smiling. Keep me happy. In the day where people fail miserably, and they're depressed, and they're saddened. And how does that happen? By seeking strength the second time you wash, Oh Allah, enable those eyes to only look at that which pleases you. Oh Allah, bless those eyes so they do not glance at that which brings your wrath. Oh Allah, forgive the sins of those ears, but yet bless them so that they only hear that which pleases you. Strengthen, strengthen them so that they only hear that which brings your happiness. O oh Allah, forgive the sins of this tongue, but yet, O oh Allah, bless my tongue so that I only say and I only utter that which brings your satisfaction. When you wash your right hand, you say, O oh Allah, I have sinned with this hand. Nobody knows about those sins beside you. 
Oh Allah, I want you to forgive them. I want you to purify my hand. The salah is a form of connection with you. I'm about to stand before you. Allow me to stand before you as I am pure. In a state of tahara. You know when we say, ala tahara, you are with tahara, you are in a state of tahara. It doesn't just mean you have done wudu. No. It means you are in a state of tahara from sin. It means you have already done your tawbah when you did your wudu. Oh Allah, do not give me my book in my do not give me my book in my right in the day of judgment because that would mean I have been victorious in this life. When you wash your left, you say, oh Allah, forgive its sins and do not give me my book in the left. Enable this hand so that it does that which pleases you. It refrains from that which is haram. When you wipe your head, you say, Oh Allah, from head to toe I belong to you. You've given me my mind, you've given me my immune system, you've given me my intellect, you've given me my vision, you've given me my ears, you've given me my eyes, you've given me my heart. You're allowing me to breathe. You are behind every success that I have gained. From head to toe, all of that belongs to you. You're behind all of that. And when you wipe your feet, Say, oh Allah, oh Allah, allow me to walk on that salat al-mustaqeem. Some people think that when they do the dua to walk on salat al-mustaqeem in the day of judgment, they don't have to walk on salat al-mustaqeem in this life. That's not how it works. The salat that you'll walk on in this life is a reflection of what you'll be walking in the next. The salat that you will be walking in the next life is a reflection of the salat that you chose in this life. If you went to the right, to the left, you jumped, you took shortcuts, the same thing is going to happen in the next life. If you walked on a straight line, then you will walk on a straight line. With that philosophy of wudu, how many of us will do wudu three times a day, five times a day, and still sin with those eyes? Still sin with those ears? Still sin with this tongue? That is the esoteric approach to understanding the Qur'an. When I see the Qur'an from this angle, from this perspective, then I go back to the statement of Ali ibn Abi Talib, I realize the magnificence of his statement. Well, you have to look at the Quran through the eyes of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Through the, the, the one who understood the Quran, through the one who defined the Quran. Number two, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inni ana rabbuk? Why is it that Allah says, Inni ana rabbuk? Why is it that Allah does not say, Inni ana Allah? Because we've decided we're going to go the extra mile. 
We're going to look at the deeper meanings of the Holy Quran. We're not just going to read the Quran like a tape player. Today we have millions of tape players that have only memorized the Quran. There's no difference between them and a cassette player, an MP3. You press a button, he begins to read the Quran until he... But the Quran is not implied in his life. He reads the Quran, he kills people. He reads the Quran, he lies. He reads the Quran, he invades countries. Huh. This person, there's no difference between him and a mule carrying the Qur'an. Imagine you put the Qur'an on a mule. You say to this mule, carry this Qur'an from point A to point Z. What would you feel, the mule? What would you feel? Nothing. This person is the same exact thing. But only and only will the Qur'an have its effect on the soul of his, is when I look deeper within the Qur'an. When I open my eyes and my soul to the Qur'an. So why is it that Allah tells him, A word, Rabb, comes from the root word, Tarbiyah, The one who gives discipline, the one who gives you akhlaq, the one who gives you upbringing, the one who teaches you ethical and moral principles. That is a Murabbi. Rasulullah says, Allah Rabban. Allah is my murabbi, and I will be your murabbi. The same way Allah was the murabbi of whom? Musa, Isa, Ibrahim, Nuh, Saleh. In many areas, when you examine the tarbiyah of Musa, you find that there are many areas. But I'm going to concentrate on the following three areas of the disciplining of Allah to Musa and the tarbiyah of Allah to Musa. Don't get me wrong, don't say, well, did Musa really need discipline? Sometimes the word discipline has negative connotations. Say, I'm disciplining my child after they've done something wrong. But the word discipline is actually never negative. You're supposed to discipline your children and yourself before you make the mistake, so that you don't make the mistake. Right? You're supposed to teach yourself the akhlaq and the moral and ethical principles before you fall into the sin and the mistake and the unethical and immoral acts. So he disciplined him in many ways. I'm going to focus on the following three. And I want your undivided attention. One was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear to Musa that Musa, you are to connect me with people, not to disconnect me from people. You are to create a bond between me and my creation. You're not to ever break that bond. What do I mean? Musa met Allah twice. One was mentioned in the ayah that we began the lecture with, chapter 20, verse 12. The second is mentioned in surah number 7. Musa MashaAllah. I'm very pleased that you all are aware of the Quran. So before he went to that 40-day meeting, which was 30, then added another 10, became 40, he told his people, look, I'm leaving, I'm going to this meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So some of them said, Musa, ask him this, do this. Uh, one of them said, Musa, come. There was an old man, 
said, yes, sir, what do you need? He says, I want a message. I want you to take a message to Allah. I said, sure, I don't mind. He says, tell Allah I hate him. And tell Allah I don't want to have anything to do with him. Musa, I just thought this guy is... So I'm not going to deliver the message. Musa went to the meeting, 30 days, 35 days, 38 days, 39 days. Musa, do you have a message for me? Musa says, no, no I don't have anything for you. <coughs> Musa, is there anything you want to tell me? No, Ya Allah, there's really nothing I, I want to tell you. Musa, what about that old man? He says, Ya Allah, to tell you the truth, I do have a message, but I didn't think you wanted me to deliver it. I mean, it was very rude, and I think the guy was just upset, so I decided not to tell you. What does Allah tell him? Allah tells him, Musa, was that message for you, or was it for me? Was there not a person remembering me? Was there not a person making a connection between me and him? Even if the connection was wrong, there was a connection. Musa, don't pull the plug on that connection. If it's wrong, try to fix it. But don't stop it. If it's wrong, try to fix it. But don't ever pull the plug on it. And tell him, oh Musa, that since I created you, since I gave you life, I will always look after you. I will always take care of you. That is why a, a very famous Persian poet draws a beautiful picture for us. He says that there was a time where Musa was walking in the valleys and he saw a shepherd. And the shepherd was sitting down and he was talking. He was saying, Oh Allah, it would be so nice if you were here. I would comb your hair. I would brush your hair. I would take the lice out of your hair. I would bathe you. I would massage your feet. And then I would take you to bed. I would tuck you in. Musa went to him. He told him, Talib, Tashbik. What are you talking about? Who are you talking to? He said, I'm talking to Allah. He said, Allah? Allah doesn't have hair. He doesn't have lice in his hair. He doesn't need you to bathe him. He doesn't need you to tuck, you, tuck him in bed. And he probably gave him a whole lecture about the existence of God. So the shepherd put his head down and he said, I really don't understand, but I had a connection with Allah. Now I've lost it. I don't know what to tell him anymore. Jubra'il goes to Musa and says, Musa, every night that man spoke to Allah, every night that man had a moment with his Creator, now he's not speaking to Allah anymore. There was that connection. You pulled the plug on that connection, Musa. Go and fix it. You are to connect me with my creation. Bring me closer to them. Never to separate me from them and create a gap between me and them. Now you might ask, why did I choose this one? I chose this one because we're in dire need of this one. Because when I look at a masjid, or I go to lecture somewhere, and I only see people who are religious, who seem to be pious. Do you think I'm pleased? No. Do you think I'm happy? No. It is only and only when you go out 
walks the extra mile and find those in the bars, find those behind bars, find those who are going to sleep drunk tonight or intoxicated on drugs or lonely or depressed or contemplating suicide. Those individuals in your community and you bring them in and you win them, that is when you have done the job. That is when you have been disciplined by the discipline of Allah. Not only we don't do that, but if we find someone, for example, in the community, a lady comes to a majlis without hijab, or without proper Islamic attire. Ten people go to her. Don't you know this is a masjid? Don't you know you shouldn't be doing this? Why are you wearing makeup? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And they pull that plug. The connection is lost. Remember Allah says, Musa, bring me closer. Take me to them. Bring them to me. Don't create that gap. If you see a youngster, a younger brother, maybe he's not dressed in the most appropriate way for the Islamic center, in your opinion, in my opinion. Don't discourage him. Don't make fun of him. Don't fool him. Don't belittle him. Encourage him. Welcome him. Be warm with him. This place is not just for me. It's not just for you. This place is for everyone. We don't have a monopoly over Islamic centers. We don't have a monopoly over Islamic institutions. We don't have a monopoly over God. We don't have a monopoly over Imam Hussein. The job of prophets was indeed to make that connection. And this place is established to take you to do the job of prophets. So what do you do? You go and you look for that people. Don't tell me, Allah saying, why should I do that? Why is it my job to go and look for those friends of mine that only come in Tasu'ah and Ashura as a Then why are you here? Why are you here? Aren't you here to take the principles of Imam Hussein? Aren't you here to feel that the Qur'an hayyun lam yamut? And this is the, the message of the Qur'an. Number two, Allah taught Musa and disciplined him with the following. Musa, arrogance and faith do not see eye to eye. Arrogance and faith do not see eye to eye. Allah told him, Musa, before you come, bring me someone, something, somebody that's lower than you in status. So Musa, he went to Bani Israel, and of course there were many people in Bani Israel that he could have taken away. So he looked at this guy, maybe he's a thief. He looked at this guy, maybe he's a liar. Maybe this guy is a murderer, rapist, cheat. This guy takes, for example, riba. So he went to take any of them and he thought to himself, wait a minute, what if they've done something really good I'm not aware of? Wait a minute, what if those guys have already repented? Wait, what if they'll repent when I'm taking them? So he decided he's not going to take anyone. Then he was going, he saw a dog. So he said, this dog has got to be something I can take. He looked at the dog, and the dog 
was following the instruction of its owner. The owner says, run, he runs. Sit, he sits. Quiet. So the dog is going to defend and obey his owner until the last moment of his life. Last breath he takes. So people think that just because the dog is nejis, he's not a good animal. There's no connection between the two. So he said, even this dog I can't take. What is the crime of this dog? This dog follows his instructions the way he's supposed to. So he goes to Allah. Ah, what's up? What happened? You didn't bring what you were supposed to bring. He said, Allah, every time I looked, I didn't find anyone who I can put beneath me. Allah says, Musa, if you would have brought anyone, you would not have found me in this meeting. If you would have brought anyone with you, you wouldn't have found me here. This was a test. It was a test for you, Musa. Do you see yourself above others? Do you put yourself above others? No. Or you humiliate yourself, you humble yourself. And I tell you, this is a disease in our community sometimes. People go to Hajj, they become religious, they began to wear a beard or wear hijab, and suddenly they think they become the spokesman of Allah, the police of Allah, the one who's supposed to tell everyone how to live their lives. And more importantly, Sometimes you find people who weren't, who weren't religious. Who weren't religious. Now she's become religious. Now she's become hajiyya. Now she has the right to judge everyone and anything. Walking around giving advice to everybody. Judging everyone. Putting everyone down. Humiliating people. Tell her, why are you doing this? The same thing goes for a lot of the elders in our community, with all due respect to the elders. If you see a youngster, if you see a youth who isn't, for example, properly obeying Islamic rituals, listen to me, give me your attention, don't put yourself above him, don't put yourself above her. Don't look at what this young man is doing today. Look at the potential of this young man. Maybe tomorrow he's going to be a marja. Maybe tomorrow he's going to be a alim. Maybe tomorrow he's going to be one of the leaders of Auckland. Don't look at that young lady and say, I am kharbata matfid. Maybe she's going to be the mother of the most important Muslims in this country. If you look at the potential in those individuals, don't be so naive and judging people by the very first glance you take at them. That's second. Third, Allah taught Musa not to ever expose anyone. When they went to the Nile, and the Bani Israel was behind him, he hit the stick, it wasn't splitting the ocean. Once, twice, ten times. He says, Jubrail, what happened? It's not splitting the Nile. Jibra'il says, Musa, there's a sinner amongst you. If the sinner is going to be there, nothing's going to happen. Pharaoh is coming with his troops. What are we going to do? 
So he says, Jibra'il, please tell me who this guy is, so I can take him out of the crowd. He stood and he said, people, there is a sinner amongst you. The sinner knows who he is. Leave the congregation. We're all going to die because of you. Nobody knows. So he insists, Jibra'il, tell me who he is, so I can take him out of the crowd. Jibra'il comes to him, he says, Musa, Allah says this man's sin is that he exposes the faults of others. Do you want Allah to perform the same sin that he's holding this man responsible for? You want Allah to follow the same mistake? So Musa stands. He says, oh my community, Oh, Bani Israel, this is what Allah has said. That he's not going to expose this sinner through this man right there at that moment. What did he say? He says, Ya Allah, Anta Ghaffarudhu, Anta Sattarudhu, Taghfiru Dhamma Bi Karamik. Oh Allah, you are the one that conceals sin. You are the one that forgives. Forgive me, I will never go back to this sin anymore. And this is another problem that we find present within our community. If somebody sees someone doing something wrong, they expose them. They speak behind their back. If somebody comes to you and confines in you, gives you a problem, tells you of a problem that they have, whether it's a sin, whether it's a mistake, whether it's a problem within the family or their business, the first thing that you do is not that you go and you tell your wife, you tell your husband, you tell your cousin, you tell your siblings. No, you keep that to yourself. Don't expose people. I know many people who stop going to Islamic centers, houses of worship, when you tell them why, they say, Sayyid. People there, they're 24-7 doing ghiba and namima and lies and backbiting. Why should I go? I don't enjoy such gatherings. One, always be the one that connects. Two, don't ever put yourself above others. Three, don't ever expose anyone. Those are the reasons why I believe Allah says to him, Inni ana rabbuk. Number three, Take off your shoes. The exoteric approach is that we say, Musa was in a blessed valley, and Allah told him, take off your shoes as a sign of respect. But truly, is it that Allah is recording this story and bringing an ayah just to tell us Musa took off his shoes? I don't think so. The exoteric approach is great. We take off our shoes in the time of du'a, we take off our shoes in the time of salah, we take off our shoes in holy places. One of the greatest maraj of our times is when you go to Baqi'ah, take off your shoes. Don't walk with your shoes. Because there is buried Al-Hasan Al-Mushtaba, Imam Zain Al-Abideen, Imam Al-Baqir, Imam Al-Sadiq, Sayyidah Umm Al-Baneen, Ibrahim, Abbas, many great individuals are buried there, companions of Rasulullah. That's the exoteric approach. The esoteric approach has the following two messages. 
Number one. O oh, Musa, when you come to speak to me, be humble. Because when you take off your shoes, it's a sign, it's a sign of humility. Be humble, O oh, Musa. Number two. Detach yourself from the worldly comforts. Detach yourself from the world. Because wearing shoes, obviously, is a part of bringing comfort to ourselves. And nowadays, it's become a luxury where people have, you know, spent thousands and thousands on shoes, Prada, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, $3,000, $4,000, not just one pair, two pairs, 50 pairs. With that money, we can feed probably 250 people in Iraq or Somalia or somewhere in Africa. So Allah says, Ikhla'an alayk. Number one, be humble. Number two, detach yourself from this dunya. Number four, how do we relate this ayah in our life today? How do we take the Qur'an and we feel the message of Ali, إِنَّ الْقُرْآنَ حَيٌّ لَمْ And it is as new and as fresh for the last of us as it was for the first of us. Oh. Number one, when we stand for salah in front of Allah, we're just like Musa. Musa want to speak to Allah every day. We're also meant to speak to Allah five times a day. When you stand to Allah in prayer, make sure that you're humble. Make sure that you're humble. Make sure that you have a state of khushu'. Some people, they say everything, and they do everything during their salah without speaking. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawm deen Imagine if you were speaking to someone important. They tell you you have to keep eye contact with this person. Now you're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sending text message, doing hand gestures, watching football from the corner of your eyes. This is not being humble. Number two, detach yourself from the dunya. When you say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Know that Allah deserves that thank That glorification For everything that you have is because of Him Don't tell me saying I was smart enough I have a PhD I have smart enough I became a doctor I was good enough I became the CEO of my company I was, you know, featured in this magazine because I did this and this. No. If Allah wasn't behind you, you would have been nothing. When you pray, understand that. Feel that. Take yourself to Allah, not just with your body, but with your entire existence. Number two, when you read the Quran, Allah is speaking to us. Let us become humble. What do I mean? I mean, some people are not willing to put one hour a day for the Qur'an. That's arrogance. That's saying, my time is not worthy to be given to the Qur'an. 
that person will never feel the sweetness of the Quran. Don't tell me, say it, well I have exams, I can't come to the Muharram program. I have a meeting the next day. I have to go to work. I have, a, you know, I have a headache today. People, you're here for Muharram to understand the Quran. How many hours do you spend on your iPhone, on WhatsApp, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook? When it comes to Allah, you have an exam. When it comes to Allah, you have a meeting early in the morning. When it comes to going to the movies, taking vacations, buying a new car, buying a new bag, I have money. I have money. When it comes to Allah, Wallah, the business is, is not really as good as we thought it was going to be. Be humble. Don't be arrogant when it comes to giving towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Teach yourself and your family humility when it comes to the Quran. We had a teacher in Qum who studied in Najaf, Al-Ashraf. And he says that, I went to Najaf, his name is Al-Mudarras Al-Afghani. He said, nobody knew me, I was just some poor Afghani kid. So he said, they didn't give me a hujra, a place to stay, I went to the graveyard. He said, I slept in the graveyard. And Najaf, you know it's hot. Wadi Salam. It's a desert. He said, I woke up the next day, I saw water, so I drank the water. And then he said, where is this water coming from? He said, I followed the water, I opened the door, I saw that it was a dead body being washed. So he said, I cried. I said, Allah, I'm here for the Quran. I'm here to learn your sciences, to seek your knowledge. And Allah took that man and he became the most famous teacher in the Hawza. And he had the busiest of classes. And more importantly, forget that, Allah gave him the pleasure and satisfaction of feeling how it feels to play with that knowledge, to understand that knowledge. To be able to put that knowledge into action in his life, that is the greatest gift Allah can give anyone. وَأَتَيْنَا مُوسَى الْحِكْمَةِ The greatest of gift was hikmah that was given to the Quran. It was not money, it was not wealth, it was not position. So let us be humble. Let us teach our children to be humble when it comes to understanding and learning and spending time with the Quran. And number three, when it comes to dua, detach yourself from the dunya for a moment from your kids, from your business, from your job. And this country in the West, all we do is we work to pay the bills. Stop for a moment, it's okay, take 10 days off. Spend it with Allah. Teach that to your children. <coughs> and when you do dua, know that Allah is the one who can help you. Amman yujibul muftarra idha da'a. وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ Only and only Allah, when you do dua and you raise your hand, only, the only thing that comes to your mind is Allah. Not Allah, maybe you can, you know, persuade my boss to give me a raise. Allah is the one that gives rizq. Allah is the one that gives health. 
Allah is the one that will take you by the hand. And this is my final statement for this evening. My final statement. You may tell me, Sayyid, Musa went to the Holy Valley, to Mount Sinai, to meet with Allah. Where am I going to go? Do I need to go to Karbala and Mecca and Medina? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا تسعني أرضي ولا سما ولكن يسعني قلب عبدي المؤمن That is your holy valley. That is your Mount Sinai. That is the Wadi Al-Muqaddas. Allah says, my heavens, my earth, my universe do not occupy me, but occupies me the small space. The hearts of the believer occupies me. I am happy and content with it. Imam Sadiq says, إِنَّ قَلْبَ الْمُؤْمِنَ حَرَمَ اللَّهِ فَلَا تُسْكِنْ غَيْرَ اللَّهِ حَرَمَ اللَّهِ Keep this heart pure, give it to Allah, you'll always be in that wadi al-muqaddas. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.